Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. Today's sermon will be part two on Israel's deliverance from Egypt, pictures of the gospel. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Normally I say, turn in your Bibles too. But today we will be continuing uh, what I think is four sermons on Moses and the deliverance um, and how that story pictures the gospel. And so that's where we will be this morning. So before we begin, though, let's pray and let's let's ask the Lord to, to help us. Heavenly Father, we come before you um, at this time as we open your word and think about um, the Old Testament, particularly Moses and the deliverer and the great deliverance that it pictures as they in Israel and Egypt at that time were delivered from Egypt. Father, we in Christ are delivered from our sins. And what a beautiful picture, though I will just touch the surface Father, we, we know that, it, that all the Old Testament and all of what it taught, all the truths there, so many things, but they were also <clears throat> just pictures and types <clears throat> of Christ for us. Father, as we take the, the Lord's Supper today, um, which is really our application, may we, uh, may we find Christ as more beautiful today. May we love him more. Pray that he would increase, that we would decrease. Pray that in spite of me, that you would work. Pray that you would just give us great grace today. May your word encourage us, exhort us, may it convict us. Father, we just trust you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is part two. Last time we looked at, two weeks ago before Gil, we looked at Israel's bondage to, in slavery and how that pictures our bondage to sin. But God, in his mercy, delivered, delivers us. So we looked at that bondage. Today, we will look at, move a little further along the story, we will look at the deliverer. Um, <clears throat> if, if there is a deliverance, there must be a deliverer. So with Israel, it was, it was Moses. And so we're going to tell, retell the story, a lot of Moses' life today. But Moses, in the big scheme, the big scheme of God's plan um, to deliver his people is only the precursor or the type or the picture of the true deliverer who is Jesus Christ in whom we worship today and we celebrate today and we'll take the Lord's Supper at the very end today. So... For this particular sermon, as we think about the deliverer, I have two ways, so just two parts to this sermon. Two ways that Moses, the deliverer in that day, pictures Jesus in the gospel. Number one, we'll look at the preparation of Moses. How did God prepare Moses? And then looking forward, God preparing Christ for his work. And then two, we'll look at the the, the identity of Moses and 
who he was and what, a little bit about his life um, as that pictures also Christ, particularly how Moses left his position in Egypt, ended up in the desert, but eventually he completely identified with the people there, the Hebrews. And so that'll be part number two. So let's begin. Preparation of Moses. Here we consider how God prepared Moses for his task of being the deliverer. And let me just say, there was no greater person in the history of Israel, in the history of the Bible in the Old Testament, than Moses. Um, and, and so God prepared Moses for this great task of being this great deliverer. So in his providence, God raised up a king who did not know Joseph, a king who saw Israel as a threat. So they had been there 300 and some odd years, and God raised up a king. And we know that God raised up that king because he was going to deliver them and was bringing them out of slavery. And that particular king, he persecuted the, the Hebrews. He made laws to oppress them. And he even wanted to destroy all the, all the males there, the, the, the children, so that they might cease to be a nation. Not knowing, of course this king didn't know that, did not know that this was the plan of God to eventually deliver the Hebrews and then take them back to Canaan. And such is the time into which Moses was born. By faith, his mother and his father, they hid him. And they eventually put him into a little floating boat, a little floating basket, where the daughter of Pharaoh found him and took him in, adopted him, and he was raised in the Egyptian home of a king. So in the house of Pharaoh, he grew up with all the learning, all the privileges, all the prestige, all the relationships there that were accorded to him of being really like a prince, adopted prince in the house of Pharaoh, in the house of a king. And then we move forward. The Bible says when he had grown up, in Exodus chapter 2, when he'd grown up, Moses began to identify with the Hebrews. Later on, if we move to the New Testament, Stephen gives a, a sermon there before he is killed, before he's martyred. And he tells us, that Moses was 40 years old. And it came into his heart when he was 40 years old to visit his brothers. So I'm assuming that he was there in the house of Pharaoh for about 40 years. And he said, hmm, I'm going to visit my brethren. Because he knew, we don't know how, but he knew, of course, that he was a, a Hebrew. And he saw an Egyptian abusing one of his brothers, a Hebrew. And what did Moses do when he saw this? Well, we know the story. He killed this man, and he buried his body in the sand. And then the very next day, Moses went to his brethren, went to the Hebrews, and he, he tried to then break up a fight that they were having amongst themselves. And he tried to give them instructions. And do you remember what they said to him? They didn't say, oh, come help us, great, mighty Hebrew, born, you know, raised in, in the house of Pharaoh. They rejected him and they said, who made you a ruler over us and a judge over us? Which we, we know and a little bit later these words will be changed greatly. But who made you a judge? Are you going to kill us as you did the Egyptian? And so then Moses, 
in great fear with what Egypt might do to him, he fled. At the age of 40, into the, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details here, he, but he fled to the land of, remember the land he fled to? Starts with an M, the land of Midian. So he goes out into the land of Midian, into the, into the desert. And so, but, but something very important that I want, to, I want to point out. At that age of 40, Moses tried to take things into his own hands, to do them the way that he thought they ought to be done. But he was not ready to be the deliverer yet. God still had many years before him of preparation <clears throat> that were left for him there in the desert that he would become the one that would come back and then be the great deliverer of those Hebrews. So Moses was not ready at 40 years of age. So God must prepare him further. So God's plan was to send him out into the wilderness. We might call that the wilderness of life. And we're going to apply this in a minute. But what happens next in the story as he goes out into the wilderness? Well, he becomes a shepherd. I mean, we're talking many years, okay? The, the years of almost just a little, more, little less than my own lifetime. We're probably 40 years more there. I mean, we're long time in the desert. And so he becomes a shepherd. What else does he do? He gets married. It's a good thing. How many children does he have? He has many children, but the two that are mentioned in, in, in the Bible there are, he, well, he has two, and we're going to talk about their names in a minute. But he becomes a father, and he lives a completely different life from his time in Egypt. You see, God must prepare him to be the deliverer. He must learn some things in life. He needed to learn patience, humility, how to be a father, leadership skills in his family, to be a, be a husband. He had to learn the many lessons of life needed to lead the Hebrews all those years out of Egypt and then even in the desert. And most importantly, though, what would be the most important thing that, that Moses would have to learn? I think he would have to learn how to commune by faith with his God. And so this was very important at this time. So <clears throat> God would not use a proud Egyptian, but instead he would use a humble, meek man. Do, do you know what the Bible says about, about Moses, about his humility? We talked about in Sunday school this morning. How humble was he? If you were to put him up and compare him to every man in the entire world, how humble was he? Numbers 12.3 says, the man Moses was very meek. Then it tells us how very meek he was. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. So God must prepare this man in humility. Always remember, God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So, oh, how far Moses had come from the proud Egyptian, this man who lived in this, in this home with everything that he had, who tried to take charge when he was 40 years old, and then turn him into the man who was going to be the deliverer. And we know that, that Moses was a man of faith, even before, I believe, the burning bush. So you might say, well, how would you think that, John? Why would you think Moses was a man? Because a lot of people think that really that's where he really got faith, or he was really changed. But, but I believe he was a man of faith 
really all along. And God was growing him. But <clears throat> the reason I believe that he had great faith even before the burning bush was because of the names of his children. Look at the names. If we think about the names of his two boys. The first one was called Gershom, which means stranger in a strange land. So Moses, I believe Moses knew that his home was not Egypt. I, I think he knew that, and I'm sure there was something there. He was out in the, out in the, the desert as well. But I, knew, I think he believed that, that the land of Midian was not his home. What was his home? Well, Canaan would have been his earthly home. But even further than that, he knew that Canaan was not his home ultimately. But by faith, he looked to heaven. And so that was his first, first son there. The second boy was called Eliezer, which means the God of my father is my help. That's a man who has faith naming his children because he knows that God is the one who helps him in all that he'd been through and God will continue to help him. So in the desert, Moses became a man who walked by faith. And then the time came as God appeared to him in the burning bush, very famous burning bush. And that the bush burned, but it didn't burn up. It stayed there. And so in that particular instance, when God revealed himself, God showed and he proved in that burning bush. And he spoke to him as, you know, he said, what is your, what is your name, God? God says, I am. That is my name. And so what God was doing in that burning bush particularly was saying, Moses, I haven't forgotten who you are. I haven't forgotten your people. I haven't forgot my promise my covenant that I made with Abraham. The covenant, I believe, was all the way back before the foundations of the world to say, I haven't forgotten my promise to Adam and Eve that one day I'm going to send a deliverer who will come. I haven't forgotten those things, and I will continue. Even as far as we looked two weeks ago, far down that, that Israel had gone down into idolatry in Egypt. God is saying, I will raise them up again. I will bring them out my promise will be fulfilled. And so when we think about that, as we, <clears throat> we think about God doing all of these things in the life of Moses, I think Moses went to <laughs> the school of God. And so as we go to the schools of this world, children, as you go to homeschool, as you go to regular school, as you go to private school and all these things, and you learn all these subjects, so God is teaching Moses how to be the deliverer. So God teaches us. And so if we think about Moses, think about the young, impatient, quick-tempered, impulsive man all the way down to the most meek of the entire world. And so it, he was finally ready. God's time had come for the deliverer to go back in Moses. Now, there's the story of Moses, but that story of Moses and God preparing Moses pictures for us the gospel of Christ. It pictures a greater deliverer. In the same kind of way, if we think about Jesus today as we take the Lord's Supper today. Um, he, he, he was born. And how, how many years did he live? 33 years. In the flesh, God took on flesh, but he was not ready when he was born. 
course not. He was not ready at 12 years old to be our deliverer. He was not ready even at 25 because the Bible says he grew. Now, this is a great mystery to me, but in his humanity, he grew in wisdom and stature. And at the right time, he was ready. So in the same ways that God prepared Moses, God prepared even the younger man up to 30 years old for the task that he came to do. I love the words from Hebrews chapter 5, 7 to 10. It seems like forever away. We'll get back into Hebrews in a few more weeks. Kind of still there anyway with the faith of Moses. But Hebrews 5, 7 to 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Brothers and sisters, what a beautiful deliverer we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He took on flesh. We just take that for granted as Christians. That is the incarnation. He took on flesh. He lived like we live. He was born. He grew up as we have grown up and as we are growing up. He was tested in every way. He was tempted in the desert, even there by the devil in those three ways beyond any of any ways that we can ever think or imagine that's in Matthew 4 and so when he died on the cross it was the appointed time he was ready and and so he was tempted he was tested as we are in every way so he gets us he understands us And so, all of his life, through everything that he did, what was the difference between him and us, though? He was without sin. Until the time came and he said on the cross, it is finished. And he laid down his life as the true man, the true son of God, the one and only deliverer. Until that time came, it was he wasn't ready until God brought him to that appointed time. And so we are redeemed by his blood. What a beautiful savior, savior we have this morning. What a beautiful deliverer we have. Such is the beauty and the, of the manhood of Christ. And so as God prepared Moses, God prepared the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior, to be our deliverer. Quick application from this before moving on to the second part. God's timing is always best. God raised up Moses at the perfect time. And such is the case with every single story in the Bible. Nothing ever happens by chance. Nothing ever comes at the time that God does not appoint that time. Such was the case with Jesus and the gospel. Galatians 4.4. 4. In him, or excuse me, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So in the fullness of time, God did it. Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, 
even as we will remember the blood of the covenant as we drink the juice this morning. But in him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so, as it was with Moses, perfect timing, as it was with Christ, so is, so is it in all of our lives and everything that is going on. God is working, what's, we like to quote Romans eight twenty eight. God is working all things, if you are a believer in Christ today, all things for your good, no matter what comes your way. And so, we are in the school of God, who is preparing us for glory one day and so that's one truth of Moses he God prepared him God prepared Christ and so that's one truth second truth this morning the identity of Moses so let me ask who was Moses what was his identity well we could say he was an Egyptian well yeah he grew up as an Egyptian but down deep what was he he was a Hebrew, though raised as an Egyptian culturally with all the benefits of Pharaoh's house, his mother and father were Hebrews. So no matter what he did as an Egyptian by citizenship, he still had, we might say, Hebrew blood running through him. Moses was one of them. Now, when he first made himself known to his brothers, they did not accept him as the deliverer though he was their own flesh and blood. But many years later, when he was made ready by God, he would go back to Egypt and completely identify with the nation, with this great nation of slaves. In fact, in order for Moses to be their deliverer, he must identify completely with them. Not just as a Hebrew, but he must identify them in, with their infirmities with their afflictions, with their sufferings. So when Moses came to them after many years, after the years in the desert, he didn't come to them as a proud, powerful Egyptian, supposing that he could be their savior from far off. But instead, he came to them and he identified. and He said, I am one of you and I will, I will bear what you bear. I will suffer what you suffer. I will be with you completely. Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, we preached this a few weeks back. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What a beautiful picture we have of Christ. Think about Jesus. What did he do? He left his glory where? In heaven. He left, the Bible tells us. The Son of God took on flesh. And he didn't just pretend to take it on, as some people say. He didn't just merely appear to take on flesh. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So as all of our children grow up in, in the womb, so did Jesus. He came 
He came through the birth canal. He was born, and he was no different in this regard than any of us sitting here today. So I, I remember um, growing up playing sports. Really, sports was my life. I wasn't a Christian until much later. So I played basketball, I played baseball, I played football until I got hit really hard and decided I'd take up running. And, and so all of these things. But I remember, particularly in baseball, we'd play some really good team and, and I'd be a little, well, not a little bit, a lot nervous. You know how it is when, you, when you're intimidated, when you come up with someone, you, wow, with such a reputation. And my dad would just say, son, they put their pants on in the same way you put your pants. Anybody ever said that? Is that just a cultural saying from around here? They put their pants on just like you do. He was saying there's no difference here in that regard. Well, in the same kind of way, Jesus puts his pants on just like we do, and that he is, he was fully human. So he completely identifies with us, and not just in his birth, also in his life. As we noted earlier, a few minutes ago, he was tested as we are. And again, I'm going to ask the question, what is the difference between him and us? It is sin. We are sinners. He did not sin. He was sinless. And so, but when we think about Moses, it wasn't just enough for him to leave his place in Egypt. He had to then also then come and, and also identify with the Hebrews in every way. So it wasn't enough just for Jesus to leave glory and come and have just the birth. Oh, there, there's the sacrifice. No, he, Hebrews is really clear with that. He had to identify with us completely in our afflictions and everything that we've gone through. And none of us have gone through what he went through on the cross as the wrath of God was poured out upon him in that way. In fact, he, if you are a Christian today, is because the wrath of God has been poured out upon Christ and not upon you. And so... <clears throat> when we think about Christ, he was conceived by whom? The Holy Spirit. Joseph was not his father in that way. So <clears throat> his father was not, Jesus' father was not eventually Adam, okay, who was a sinner, but God the eternal father. Yet he was born of Mary. This is the incarnation. And so Moses, when we think about Moses, he identified with the Hebrews in every way. So Jesus identifies with us in every way, except, and repeat this again, in regard to sin. Now, so when we think about Christ coming down, the incarnation, taking on flesh, and laying down his life as a sacrifice, why did it have to be this way? That God would take on flesh. Why did it have to be? Well, I think it's, it's, it's clear if you really think about it. And, but it had to be this way or there would be no deliverance from sin, from the bondage of sin. There must be an acceptable sacrifice to God. God must look at the sacrifice and say, I accept that 100%. That is the final sacrifice. So let's think about this. Think about Adam, the man, married, first woman there, Eve, 
They sinned, but let's think about Adam. He sinned. And so when he had children, those children did what? They inherited his nature. They sinned. They have children. They sinned. They have children. And here we are today. And we don't have to convince one another that we are sinners. So think about it. Which son of Adam could ever lay down his life as a sacrifice that would be acceptable to God? So in, in, in that regard, we don't have a son of Adam when we think of Christ. Now, when we think about Adam and Eve, after they sinned and God made his promise there in Genesis 3.15 that some, one day a woman would have a child, one would come from the seed of the woman, and that child would one day be the deliverer. That would be, there would be one who would crush the head of Satan. When you think all the way back, just kind of try to put my mind around that or put our minds around that. I don't, know, I don't think that Adam and Eve understood this truth, certainly, completely. They didn't have the full revelation from God in that day. But they did know this. They had the promise. And they knew that God would send a deliverer. And there's their faith, okay? So they look forward. They knew by faith God would do it. God would make things right. One would come and crush the head of the serpent, okay? And we know that to be the cross. So they knew that. But I don't think they knew exactly, you know, how all this would happen. But I, I may be wrong here, but I think maybe they thought with the first child, oh, is this the one? Um, you know, or the second child, could it, could it, could it be Cain? Could it? Could it be Abel? And then when Cain kills his brother and is cursed, they have another one named Seth. And they think, could it be? Could it be Seth? Now, I, like I say, I may be wrong here, but I, <clears throat> I do know that they knew that it would be a man that would be born of a woman. Born into the world just like us. It would not be an angel. <laughs> Which, I, even this morning, reading in my quiet time, Joshua, when Joshua and the children were getting ready, the children of Israel were getting ready to actually go into the promised land, there comes and stands one there with a drawn sword. And he says, are you for us? Are you for the, our adversaries? Because Joshua was wondering, I hope you're not for them. But this person, this messenger, I believe to be the pre-incarnate Christ, says no. And then Joshua falls down on his face and he worships the, this, this is obviously not an angel, but he is a messenger. And I believe that is the, the, the pre-incarnate Christ. But back to our point, Jesus had to be born just like us and take on our identity. But again, the question, which of Adam's children could ever be the Savior? Again, could it be Enoch, Enoch or Job or Abraham or the great Moses or the prophets or David, or even Solomon, on and on we could go and ask this question, but we will never find a deliverer from the sinful sons of Adam. And so, we know this to be true, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which of us have not sinned even this week is we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute and we're going to remember Jesus died for my sins. And bring us great comfort. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I, when I think about who can it be? 
Who can it be? It must be the only Lord Jesus Christ. And I think of the scene in heaven in John's revelation. Listen to these words from Revelation 5. This is John's vision there. He says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? I can't, can't even imagine that. The angel says, who is worthy to open the scroll and, and go over to the throne of the one holding this scroll and take that scroll and open it up? Who is worthy to break its seals? And no one, heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw, didn't see one of the sons of Adam, And he saw a lamb standing, (laughs) not the lamb of the Old Testament sacrificial system, standing as though it had been slain. It's just a picture of the Lord Jesus who was slain. With seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went. And he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. I imagine he did not take it with trepidation. He took the scroll because it was his to take. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people from every, every tribe and language and people and nation, and here, so we are here today. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So let me ask you a question as we try to close this down here in the next few minutes and take the Lord's Supper. Which religion in this world can say, worthy is the Lamb? Give me a religion that can say that. Can Judaism? No, because there is no lamb or bull that can take away sins. Hebrews says that. The blood of bulls and goats can never atone, take away, or cover our sins. I mean, you know, even now, you know... Many of our, our Muslim friends and neighbors are having, they're, they're practicing Ramadan even as we speak, and we're praying for some of them now. But they, they have another, another type uh, holiday or whatever it's called, Korban, where they sacrifice lambs and, and goats and, and other animals. Well, can Islam say, worthy is the lamb of Korban? 
I think a million lambs and goats can be shed during their yearly sacrifices of Korban, but they can do this year after year just as the Jews did year after year and even maybe continue to do, but it will be to no avail. Maybe we get a little bit closer with the Jehovah's Witnesses and, and, and our Mormon friends. Can they say worthy is the lamb? Because they do believe they have a, a sinless lamb. But they do not have, in essence, deity, the Son of God. So can they say, worthy is the Lamb? Name another religion that can say and actually say, worthy is the Lamb. There are no religions in this world that can say, worthy is the Lamb. Because their sacrifice is not fully God, fully man. And so if it is not the case, then they, sacrifice, then, they, then they forfeit the power of the blood that was shed. That is why there is power in the blood. So brothers and sisters, today, God looks down upon sinful mankind, upon us, and he says, only I can do it. You cannot do it. Do you remember the story when, and I've, I've gone through this a few times in my preaching through the years, but... Do you remember the story when God appeared to Abraham in Genesis 15? As he told Abraham, he was, he was, making, he was basically saying, Abraham, I, I'm making a covenant with you. But he's going back to the covenant with Noah, covenant with, with I believe, with, before the foundations of the world, covenant with Adam. And he's saying, you know, here's my promise, okay? What I want you to do, though, to, so that we can symbolize this, when he appeared to him in Genesis 15, he placed, Abraham went into a deep sleep, <clears throat> and he told in this, actually, go back a minute. Before he went into the deep sleep, deep sleep he, told, he told Abraham to cut up these animals and place them in two parallel lines, okay? And so Abraham did this. He placed the, these dead animals in these two rows. And then dreadful darkness fell upon Abraham. And then in a vision, what happens? Well, there is in this vision a fire pot, a smoking fire pot, and then a flaming torch that passes right in between those animals that are laid in these parallel rows. So let me ask, do you guys, do you understand this vision and what this means? Well, in, even during that day, it was very common practice for kings or king in a vessel or two parties to get together and make a covenant, make promises one to another. And they would enter, two people, two parties would enter into a covenant with one another, and they would do this. And by killing these animals, they would say, if I do not keep my part of the covenant, then let me be like those animals. And then, and then they would, one of them, particularly the lesser one, but they would pass through that. If we do not keep this covenant and let us be like those animals and so they make a promise together so when we see this vision with Abraham and it's the the torch and the fire pot passes through that notice who does not pass through those animals Abraham does not pass between those animals who does it is God who does this. He passes through the animals. And so what God was saying to Abraham was, Abraham, 
not only will I keep my promise, but I will be the one who will pass through these dead animals. Um, Abby's gone now. We've been talking about different types of covenants, but this is a covenant that God himself, only God can keep. For God knows that Abraham or his kin or any son of Adam could never uphold his part. This means that only God can deliver. Moses cannot ultimately deliver. And in order to do this, though, in order for the justice of God to be served, God must himself fulfill his promise. This means that only God can bring forth salvation. So with that in mind, as we just prepare our minds and our hearts to take the Lord's Supper, do you see the beauty of the incarnation of Christ? God took on flesh, the person of the Son, one person, two natures in one, fully God, fully man. And this was necessary or there would be no deliverance. For there would be no acceptable, acceptable sacrifice. Think back to the vision with John. Nobody to take the scroll. No one worthy but one. This is why Acts 4.12 there. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And this we remember in the Lord's Supper today. We have a deliverer, and there is only one, and his name is, is not Moses, though Moses was the, the most humble, the most meek, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our deliverer is Jesus. Moses delivered the Hebrews to which land? Canaan, what land does Jesus deliver us to? He is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father where he rules till all of his enemies are made his footstool. But he takes us not to Canaan. He takes us all the way to heaven. So at the end of the day, all of this, all of this plan is the work of God from the very beginning before the foundations of the world. In the sending of the Son, God is fulfilling his promise in Genesis 3.15, which makes its way to Abraham, to Moses, and then finally to us sitting here today. And if you are a Christian today, at the end of the day, you're just like Abraham in the sense that you're just holding on by faith to the promise of God. And that's good. And we take the Lord's Supper today because of this. So this whole plan is God fulfilling his covenant that he began before the foundations of the world. We see it with Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. And then we see its fulfillment in whom? In Jesus. In the new covenant. As we will read in a moment. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so brothers and sisters, all of salvation is from God. All of it. Yet he uses the things of this world and even all the evil in it to bring about this great plan of redemption and to carry us through this life all the way to heaven. So salvation is from God. Therefore, this morning, all who look upon the Son by faith 
Those who receive him are delivered from their sins. And so, Christians, this, the Lord's Supper today is for Christians. If you're not a Christian, please do not take it. It is specially for those children of Abraham by faith who look unto Christ. So we look upon the Son. If you're not a Christian, I would say, look unto Him. Pray. God, give me great grace. Come and talk to one of the elders or talk to your parents or talk to someone beside you and say, maybe it's the first time I've ever heard a little bit of the gospel today that, that, I, that maybe I understand that Jesus died for my sins. And so I would say, look unto Him. If you are a Christian, again today, by faith in joy, the Lord's Supper. Be encouraged by the birth and the life, the death, and even as next week, look forward to another time at Easter, the resurrection, and worship God who came down and walked between the animals. And he didn't just walk between them, he laid down his life as a sacrifice. He did actually carry it out. Justice was served. God poured out his wrath upon the Son, upon the sacrifice, and those who look to him are saved. He takes our sin and takes them upon himself, and he gives us his righteousness so that we can take the Lord's Supper together and enjoy him. And so today, I hope these words are a little bit helpful as we think about Moses, and it's a picture of how we read all of the Old Testament looking forward, but as we turn our attention now to the Lord's Supper, Blaine, if you want to go ahead and if you're coming up today, make your way to this side. Um, we do practice, you know, open communion in the sense that if you are a believer, baptized believer in Christ, and you're visiting with us, you're welcome to come and take the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, please do not take. Um, if, you, if you have other questions or whatever, you're fine just to sit in your, in your seats. Um, but we'll do it as we always do it, row by row. Um, let's take just a moment of just silence, just to, <clears throat> just to think about the sermon. <clears throat> and think about just what our Lord has done, just presented today, before we begin. And then I'll lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Moses who just pictures the story of Jesus. Moses was a sinner just like us and he needed a savior, a deliverer. A deliverer. And so he looked forward to the deliverer, the Lord Jesus. And Father, we look backward. And we know that our Lord told us, until I come, do this in the church Take this supper. Father, all that it symbolizes so many things, and we're not touching on any of that, but we know that as this bread and this juice goes down into us as real elements, so the Lord Jesus was real. He identified with us. And just as these elements will give a tiny bit of nourishment to our bodies, so Christ is the one who nourishes our faith spiritually, and we need him today. So I pray that you would just encourage Christians by faith who take today and uh, help.
Help us to, to see Christ as more beautiful as the one who died for our sins. Father, we remember this today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.